The reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 to 6, and then on to verses 19 to 23. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had given, gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And on, 19, on to 19. When his master heard the story of the story his wife had told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph really was a, a, an amazing person. Um, and I think one of the things which fascinates me about him is that he was... He's very much, in many ways, like, like you and I. Uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful sort of um, commonality, uh, a commonness, if you can put it that way, about Joseph. Now, as, the, as we saw in the, the sketch that we did, um, most of the things that befell Joseph um, were pretty much outside his control, uh, both good things and bad things. Um, and as we said in, in, when we were going through that sketch, things happen to us in life, don't they? And yet, through these... Joseph prospered because the Lord was with him. And what I'd like to do is very briefly go back to the start of Joseph's life. Um, through, no, through no fault of his own, he was his father's favourite. Uh, and his father, probably wrongly with hindsight, made this rather obvious by giving him this very ornate robe. Now we don't really know how Joseph reacted to this, but clearly he wore the coat for all to see, much to the antagonism of his brothers. And to add to their resentment, he then had this dream. Um, where they would one day bow down to him, which didn't uh, help either. It wasn't a very tactful thing to do, to say, look, kid, guys, you've got, you've got to bow down to me one day. How do you feel about that? No, well, not too good, really. And as we look at the rest of Joseph's life, there are strong indications that he could be perhaps a bit full of himself, as he possibly was when he went through that dream with his brothers, just like we can. Upsetting his brothers was really the beginning of a train of events um, which defined Joseph's life. And, uh, and what is interesting is how well all the various events uh, that happened to Joseph hang together. 
It could be a modern day adventure story with the main plot and subplots and all that kind of thing. One day, he was the apple of his father's eye, no doubt leading a very comfortable life. The next day, he was sold into slavery, carted off to a faraway land, probably terrified what on earth was going to become of him. Probably going to be, probably die in slavery, uh, doing some overly onerous task, being whipped and all this sort of thing. But the Lord was with him. And in fact, he was with him big time. Instead of being sold into some grueling um, slave-type task, he was sort of one of Pharaoh's officials. He was clearly a very confident young man, um, uh, very efficient, and Potiphar recognised that he was very capable and put him in charge. He was well-built and handsome, so much so that Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce him. Maybe he could have been a little more tactful in turning her down. Because what he said to her was, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He was clearly a very highly, high, um, morally high-minded young man, but is there not a hint that, uh, that he should really not have dismissed his mistress quite in that way? It wasn't exactly subtle, was it? Um, again, perhaps he was getting a bit above himself. Well, in this instance, it was a big mistake. Big mistake. And we know that he was thrown into jail on the false witness of Potiphar's wife. One of those things that an uncertain life and throw at us. One of those things that happen which aren't totally within our control. But once again, when he was put in jail, we read that the Lord was with him. And the warder places him in charge of large sections of the jail and lets him get on with it because he's so good at running things. He's such an efficient and capable young fellow. Then two more prisoners arrive. Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer. And they have dreams. And Joseph indic- you know, notices that there's something up. He says to them, you know, what's up? He says, we've had these dreams. We'd like someone to interpret them. And then he says to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Well, there's not a hint of arrogance in that. Interpretations belong to God. I'm your man. I mean, a little bit arrogant, don't you think? And of course he did interpret their dreams, which turned out to be true. Cupbearer survived. The chief baker was hanged. And these events, albeit two years later, led directly to his release. Um, And he was summoned before Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams were interpreted. He had seven good years and he had seven bad years. But can you imagine the scene? There's Joseph, young, intelligent, deeply blessed by God, and Pharaoh, desperate to solve a problem of, of the pending famine. Joseph, I believe, probably picks up on this. Um, he's done what he came to do. He interpreted the dream. That was what he was asked to do. But now he goes further, advising Pharaoh to select a man to organise putting aside food for the bad years to come. Was there an ulterior motive in that? I think possibly there may have been. Did Joseph see this as a way out of jail? I suspect so. But whatever the motive, Pharaoh did appoint him. So one minute Joseph is in jail, the next minute he's running Egypt. You can't actually get a bigger contrast than that, can you really? How fortunes do change if God... He's blessing you and he's walking with you.
So here we do have, don't we, quite an interesting combination of the Lord and Joseph, as it were, working side by side. Joseph, smart, young, very capable, um, touch arrogant, and God shaping him, taking him down a peg or two um, when needed, toughening him up, uh, making Joseph reliant on him. It's an interesting combination uh, of things there, isn't it, I think? And And in particular... Um, when the famine came, they came to Joseph's family in Canaan, um, to his father and his brothers. And in a desperate life or death action, uh, Jacob sent Joseph's brothers to Pharaoh to um, plead to Egypt to get hold of grain because they were obviously in dire straits as well because of this very big famine that had come about. And now, for me, uh, in a way, it starts the most interesting part of Joseph's life. That first part was all action and a wonderful film, and of course it has to be made into a stage show and all the rest of it. But I think what happens next is really quite interesting. Um, The way Joseph treats his brothers. Don't forget that Joseph had been greatly blessed by God, had rescued him from some pretty dire situations. Um, Did Joseph show the same degree of mercy to his brothers? Not a bit of it. Isn't that strange? He didn't show any mercy at all to them. In fact, what he decided to do was terrify the life out of them. Now, that is really quite a strange thing for someone who's been so blessed to do. As we read in the Bible, it says, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognised them. He knew where they were. Um, But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied. To buy food. Although Joseph recognised his brothers, they did not recognise him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. This is straight out of the Bible. This is not my notes. That was an accusation that meant certain death. Can you imagine their terror? And in a frantic attempt to show that they were innocent, they let slip that they'd left behind their youngest brother, who was with Jacob, uh, their father. And so Joseph concocts a test. Having locked them up for three days, he then releases them and says, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. And so one of the brothers, Simeon, he was left in jail, Uh, and Joseph gave them grain that they wanted and they returned home but Joseph had also secretly put the money back which they had used to buy the grain in the first place he put it back in their sacks in these sacks of grain he would given them so can you imagine they get home um, Joseph has got one of their brothers locked locked up in in prison they've got the grain now they've got the money as well so they think we never paid for this we are really in deep trouble now deep deep trouble now and it's so surprising when they, when they mentioned all this to Jacob that he was quite reluctant for them to return to Egypt with Benjamin, the, the youngest brother, to um, get Simeon released. You can imagine that. However, the famine carried on and it carried on and it carried on. And so in the end, Jacob had to uh, reluctantly allow them to go back to Egypt with Benjamin. Um, and Simeon's freedom was, was secured. 
Needless to say, Joseph was delighted to see Benjamin. And, and uh, in fact, he was so delighted, he was overcome, and he secretly retired and wept. He sent them on their way again, with yet more grain. But he hadn't finished with his brothers. He hadn't finished tormenting them. No matter he was, however pleased he was to see Benjamin, he hadn't finished with his brothers. And he decides to play in a way the cruelest trick of all. He knew how fond Jacob was of Benjamin. And so then he decided, knowing that, he decided to play this trick. And he got one of his officials over um, and he said to his official, go after those men at once and when you catch up with them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. Because what he'd done, he'd put one of his cups into Benjamin's sack of grain, secretly. Benjamin didn't know it was there, and neither did the brothers. So when the official caught up with them, he, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks after the first visit. So why would we steal silver and gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die. Because they were so sure they hadn't done anything wrong. And the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, the official says. Let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it, this cup, will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And you can imagine, as you go through these sacks, it's empty, it's empty, it's empty, and they're thinking, oh, then you got away with this, empty and empty. Then he gets to Benjamin's. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes because they'd actually uh, agreed to either be hanged or killed or become slaves. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. All their worst fears had come to fruition. They were going to be killed. They were going to be kept as slaves. Jacob would never see any of his sons again and die of a broken heart. Joseph had contrived this dire situation for them. But why? The Lord had been good to Joseph. So why didn't he treat his brothers the same way instead of parading them before him, shaking and terrified? But anyway, Joseph then can... We'll come back to that. Joseph then concedes that to make them more slaves probably would be a bit over the top. So he says, only the man with the cup will be my slave. This is Benjamin, Jacob's favourite young son. No, and it was Benjamin, of course. So now the brothers were like... They were off the hook. They were free to go. And they had to go back to their father and say, Dad, we really let you down badly. We haven't brought Benjamin back. He's stuck in Egypt, in prison, as a slave to Joseph. Oh, they didn't know it was Joseph, to this, this chap that they were dealing with. And, and, and they... Sorry. <laughs> so they'd have to go back and explain they'd broken that promise. Um, and what they say to each other about how Jacob would react is this. So now... And they say this to Joseph. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, this is one of the brothers speaking, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, 
sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. He will die of a, a broken heart. So having terrified them, Joseph is now making them feel guilty about letting their father down. Making them feel like complete and utter failures. And when they are beside themselves, even offering to stay behind so long as Benjamin can be returned, Joseph then, having led them all up this massive garden path, then decides to reveal his true self. And all is well. The brothers, their father, and the entire family are taken care of, as far as we know, for the rest of their lives. So, actually, in the end, the story has quite a happy ending. But what do we make? What do we make of Joseph's behaviour? Joseph had amazing qualities. He was highly personable, quickly gained Potiphar's confidence, the jailer's confidence, and later Pharaoh's confidence. He was of strong moral convictions, resisting Potiphar's wife, as he did, for example. He didn't wallow in self-pity when falsely accused and thrown in jail. He was extremely capable. He saved Egypt from starvation. He had the gift of interpreted dreams, the gift which the Lord had given him. And yet one could not help getting the feeling that he kind of knew he was good. It kind of comes through in the story. A bit of a prima donna, maybe. Um, After all, when put in Egypt, um, the Bible makes no hint that he was reluctant to take the role. He did, oh, not me, not me, Pharaoh, not me, I couldn't possibly do anything like that. And most importantly, he was vengeful. He put his brothers through torment. And the only reason he did that was for revenge, or it was just plain cruel, but I think it was, it was for revenge. Um, one of the commonest of human failings. When we're hurt, we want revenge, uh, and sometimes we call it justice, and it's a fine dividing line, isn't it? And so, and so frightened were his brothers when uh, Jacob eventually died many years later, after they were all sort of um, brought together again. So frightened were they of that, that incident in their lives that they were afraid that Joseph would revert and enslave them again after Jacob's death. But Jacob assured them that was not going to happen, and it didn't happen. But that's just how frightened they were. I'll just read this bit here. Jacob, our father, asks you to forgive your brothers. This is a message that the brothers take from Jacob to Joseph. To forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly, because it was the brothers, of course, that put Joseph in the system in the first place. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. As indeed he had done on and off all through these different encounters um, with his brothers. He appeared determined to have revenge, but at the same time he was enormously fond of his brothers as well. Quite often secretly sort of breaking down and weeping as they came and went. And of course he did eventually forgive them and made sure that they're all well taken care of for the rest of their days. Maybe late in life, he realised that the events that had happened to him were all part of God's plan, being sold to the slave traders and all that. Or maybe he had realised it all along, but just couldn't help himself taking revenge on his brothers. But although Joseph softened towards his brothers, there does seem to be a hard business-like streak in him that keeps reappearing. Potiphar recognised it. That's the jailer and Pharaoh and so on. He's given him these demanding roles to play. The people during those seven years of famine were starving. And the grain, uh, when their grain ran out and all their money had gone to buy grain from Joseph, what did he say to them? Did he say, it's hard times, I know you've 
spend all your money and sorry about that. But, you know, you can, here's, help yourself. Help, help, help yourself with some more grain. But he didn't do that. What he said to, what did he say to the people in their dire straits they were in? He said, then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. And when all their livestock had gone, what did he do? He bought their land so they could afford to buy food. So Joseph brought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of the Egypt to the other. And then he taxed them after that. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have brought you and your land together for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four-fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves, your households and your children. So what about us? What about us? How much of Joseph is there in us? Now Joseph wasn't always the nicest of people. He was cruel to his brothers and ruthless with the people. But in mitigation, we must say that he was under enormous pressure. He was saving a nation from starvation. Saving a nation from starvation is no mean task. It's not something which is easily done. There's no easy, trite solutions to that kind of problem, a problem on that scale. I suppose he could have been more generous to starving people, but these were very primitive times. Um, Life was cheap, and he had to make sure the grain lasted for the duration of the famine. How long would it have lasted if he'd given it away? Making people pay is actually quite a useful tool uh, for self-regulation. It limits the rate at which the grain was being dispensed. It limits the outflow of the grain to the people. Doubtless there were those who did perish, but it was a very, very hard time and it meant very, very hard solutions. And is it not surprising, um, under that kind of pressure, uh, that he went astray every now and again? He was an intensely emotional man. So I wonder how many times he would be overcome by the size of the task that confronted him um, and turn to God in despair. We don't know. The Bible doesn't give us chapter and verse on that. But I'm sure that's what he did. He probably did feel bad about making the people pay. But what other solution was there? How how else could he do it? Um, And throughout the story of Joseph, there is this strong suggestion all the way through, even when he was not behaving particularly well, uh, and he was being a bit ruthless, that God was always with him, loving him and staying faithful uh, to Joseph and seeing him through, seeing him through these difficult situations. And what do we conclude from all that? Well, what, what I would conclude that if we ever make the mistake of saying, I'm not good enough for God to be interested in me, just think of Joseph. God never expects us to be perfect. He knows we cannot be perfect. He knows we have weaknesses. We'll fail him. We'll act in ways that he abhors. 
But if we keep turning to him for forgiveness, he will stay faithful. Just as he stayed faithful for Joseph through all those difficult situations that Joseph encountered in his life. None of us are ever going to be asked, probably, to save a nation from starvation. But we will have challenges that seem overwhelming. There will be times when we are forced to do things we are not comfortable with. Choose the lesser of two evils, if you like. Um, God will see us through these if we ask him, if we go to him and we trust him. Regardless of whether, really, we deserve his help or not, and how often do we deserve his help in, in that sense. God's love is unconditional. There are no conditions attached. And he's forever forgiven. So next time you hesitate to ask God for help because you think he can't be bothered with you, or you're not worthy of his help, or you're not good enough, or you're forced into a situation which you have to deal with you don't think God would approve of, just think of Joseph and be assured that God will help you. He will comfort you when upset. He will give you strength when you feel weak. And he will provide clarity when decisions are difficult. Amen.